morning. Thank you for joining us at home and here in the room. We're excited to jump in God's Word together. So turn into your copy of God's Word or in your devices to Exodus chapter 14 and verse 5. Exodus 14 and verse 5. If you're using the Pew Bible that's in front of you that you want to follow along in that translation, it's page 58. So if you want to turn there. you may uh, read. We will read here in a second. We'll read kind of through chapter 14. So we'll kind of read sections of it at a time. This is our last sermon in the series on Exodus. And next week, we're going to be going, uh, beginning a series that will actually take us all the way to Christmas uh, as we uh, go through First and Second Timothy. And so uh, we have, I, I know that I have been Uh, uh, The Lord has really spoke to me through his word in many different ways as we've walked through Exodus. And so uh, today, as we understand, as the theme of our series has been, the Lord, I am the Lord and I will bring you out. We've been looking at the character, promises and truth of God. And today we are going to look at how the Lord seals, the Lord seals us. So uh, I'm going to pray, then we're going to get started. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. And Lord, I just pray for my own heart and the hearts of everyone here and those at home. Lord, any distractions and any concerns that, that, we are, that are pressing in on us from the outside that Satan is using to, to distract us or keep us from your truth, your word, your gospel, we pray, Lord, that you would help us by your spirit to engage your word to be changed by you, and Lord, to look more like your son after this. And Lord, I just pray that you would speak to the very concerns of our hearts today, and that Lord, that you would be faithful as we know your word is. As we come to it now, Lord, bless it, bless uh, us as we come to it, and may your name be praised. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there is no greater feeling as a sports fan as when you're team kind of puts it out of reach on the other team you know as a sports fan or you're always nervous like how's it going to come out what's what's going to be what's going to be the end result is my team going to win and there's sort of like this place where you get to where you're nervous and then there's this kind of relief you get when uh, the te- your team puts it out of reach. Like they, they score a, a touchdown like that puts it way out of reach. There's no way, there's not enough time for the other team to, to come back. And you're just like, Whew. I mean, that's one of the greatest feelings as a sports fan that you, you know you can just celebrate and cheer and you don't have to worry about the rest of the outcome of the game. Or, or maybe it's a baseball game and, you, and your team put, hits a home run that puts it, you know, puts it way out in front. There's no way that the other team is going to come back. You know that they have sealed the deal, that there's no chance for defeat. Likewise, I believe that there is no greater feeling for a believer to be reminded that our salvation is secure and that we know that we are sealed by faith in God. There are so many times that our peace and joy uh, can be stolen because we're worried about losing our faith maybe, or maybe we've gone outside of the reach of God's love. But brothers and sisters, hear me today. If you have been saved and sealed by God, there is nothing to fear. 
This gives us peace and joy in the midst of many trials and things that we will face. When we know that we are, we are being uh, uh, attacked by many different sides, maybe it's circumstances in your job or your family or anything that's going on, we know our salvation is secure. What can the world do to me because my faith is in Christ? And fortunately, many times we're seduced to think that maybe we have fallen away from God. But we know because we have been received the Spirit of God that we have assurance for eternity. Romans 8, 15 through 16 says, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. Amen? What a good thing to know and to remind ourselves, especially in the midst of trial or some circumstance that we're in. But unfortunately, we find our, in our text today, the story that we come to, that Israel thinks their fairy book uh, endings, story ending is going to collapse on them. They have been released by Pharaoh. They're, they're getting out of Dodge. And all of a sudden, Pharaoh and his armies and his fiercest fighters come after them and Israel drops right back into fear. They think, God who saved us, why did you bring us out here? It would have been better for us to be slaves. Let us to go back. They get a point to understand and to know that they are waffling on what is their future going to be like. Am I going to fall back into slavery? Am I going to fall back into the clutches of Pharaoh? But the text shows us again and again and again and again and again through Exodus that God is mighty to save. And when he saves, he saves surely. And when he saves surely, he seals us for good. And in this, though God has made a way through the Red Sea and allows Israel's salvation to be sealed by the closing of the waters on Israel's enemies, we too can be sure our salvation is sealed by our faith in Christ. And today, you may be facing an internal battle over the assurance of your salvation. You may be concerned about your future in Christ. You may be just be going through a momentary battle with sin or struggle or fear. Brothers and sisters, you need to hear and see today that God is faithful and you have nothing to be concerned about because God seals us for all eternity. And in this text, there are three ways that we see the Lord seals us. Three ways. So if you're writing notes at home or on your phone or on a piece of paper, whatever, number one, there is a battle for ownership. We belong to the Lord. In our salvation, there is a battle for ownership. And those of us who have faith, we belong to the Lord. Let's just read beginning verse five and we'll read to verse 12 of chapter 14. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about the people and said, what have we done? We have released Israel from serving us. So he got his chariot ready and took his troops with him. He took 600 of the best chariots and all the rest of the chariots of Egypt with officers in each one. 
the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the Israelites who were going out defiantly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, chased after them and caught up with them as they camped by the sea beside Philhiroth in front of Balsephron. Easy for me to say. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were Egyptians coming after them. The Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord for help. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that have been taking us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Now, we know in earlier in the text that we didn't get to read, it is said that God hardened Pharaoh's hearts. All throughout this, what do we see? That God is sovereignly at work, providentially at work, working in the minds and hearts and the history of the world to come about his plan and his glory. And he, again, we see he hardened Pharaoh's heart. If it wasn't enough that all these plagues happened, when all these things happened, that Pharaoh said, no, 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 no. God said, I'm going to keep showing you my glory. I'm going to keep showing you my glory. And then God, uh, Pharaoh let Israel go, and Pharaoh had a change of heart. We don't know what the practical reason behind it was, but we know the providential cosmic reason. God hardened his heart to say, you must go after these people because I again am going to show you my glory. So what happened? The Israelites again, they are afraid. Why did you bring us out here? I love that. Are there no graves in Egypt? Was there not enough out there? So we just, you just brought us out here so we could die in the desert? Why did you bring us out here? Why did you just leave us in slavery in Egypt? This whole episode brings about, again, this question of ownership. Notice that Pharaoh said, uh-uh, these are my people. I want to bring them back here. And, and Israel had this, this momentary that keeps coming up in their lives again and again. And are we God's people? Are we Pharaoh's people? It keeps coming back to them. Are we slaves or are we gods? Are we God's people or are we slaves? Who are we and why are we like this? And why can't we just go over here? Well, this is just like us as Christians today. We are saved and we know that our sins are forgiven. And we know that we have a glorious future in Christ. But many times we keep thinking sin is really our master that we're really slaves to sin, that, that sin has power over us, that we're guilty, we have discouragement, we allow sin to reign in our thinking. But brothers and sisters, we are reminded by the scriptures and by the spirit of Christ in us that we have the power of Christ and we have the power of Christ over sin. We are God's people. God has control over sin. He has control over Satan. He has control over Pharaoh. He has control over the world. Everyone must answer to him. We are God's people. And we have power over sin. Romans 6, 
16 through 18 and then 22 through 23 helps us see this. It said, uh, Paul writes, don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey either to, of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But thank God that although you used to be slaves to sin, you obeyed from the hard pattern of teaching to which you were handed over. And having been set free from sin, you become enslaved to righteousness. But now since you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit which results in sanctification and the outcome is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Praise God. That we were once slaves, that we had no control over what we did over here because we were sinners, that we were enslaved to it. But because of Christ, we have now put ourselves enslaved, not to our sin any longer, but to him, Christ, who brings about righteousness and fruit. And it's not by us and our power, but by Christ in us. Praise God. And we've been indwelt by the Spirit. But why do we go back and forth? Why do we do this? Well, because we objectively know something, but we subjectively don't feel it sometimes, right? We've not worked, we, we know it here, but we've not worked it down in. We don't, we don't feel it. And Tim Keller kind of gives a kind of a, a good illustration of why this might be. You know, some kids, and some of us or some kids have been raised by their parents to be perfect. And Unfortunately, some parents have even gone to even extreme nature of, a, of abusive behavior and ex- abusive control over their children, that they must walk a certain way, act a certain way, do a certain grade, and if they don't do it, there's severe punishment. Now, some of it is, is very harsh and abusive. Some of it is just kind of a, a, of a feeling and a, of an expectation. And so those kids and some of us have grown up in a way that we crave perfection and we want perfection and we need perfection. And so we have this feeling that when we make a mistake, when we sin, when we fail, when we fall, when we give in, it just crushes us. It just, it hurts us. And we get tempted by Satan to think, you know, maybe God doesn't love me anymore. Maybe I can't live up to his righteousness. Maybe he can't save me. But on the other end of the spectrum, we have many others who are raised up in kind of a self-esteemism. You can do anything. You know, you can climb every mountain and ford every stream and you can... Whatever you believe you can be, you can be a butterfly if you want to be, or, 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 or whatever you dream, or whatever aspirations you want to be, you can, you can do it. Well, mom, dad, I'm 24 years old, and I'm five foot three, and I want to be a slam dunk champion. Well, yeah, you can do it. You know, if you believe it hard enough, and you dream it to be, then you can certainly make this happen, or... Well, you know, mom, dad, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 45 and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I run a, you know, a six, five and, and I would love to be an NFL running back. You know, 
Well, you can just dream it. Go do it. I mean, haven't you watched Rudy? I mean, we can, you can do it. You know, just believe in yourself. You know, these type people, it's kind of hard in any sense for them to feel any sense of regret or, or shame about anything because they think they can just believe anything or do anything. But even those people that have been raised in that atmosphere, well, that dream dissipates. We don't achieve that. And that's crushing. I can't reach that. I can't make that happen. I can't. What happens is in both examples, it's just a, just a snapshot of what we do when we think that we must get to a certain reaction. What are we doing? We're defaulting to works righteousness. That we believe that our salvation is actually pent up in what we do and how we live and how we might please God and how he might, might look upon us. And though we know how severe and how hated sin is that God turns to sin, brothers and sisters, we as Christians must understand that it is not what we do. It's what he's done. It's what Jesus has done on the cross by taking the penalty of our sins, by raising again on the third day, that, and our belief and faith in him, that in that we have salvation. Not by what we have done, but what, what Christ has done on the cross. When we start to look at other ways for us to, to, be, to be saved or to, be, to gain salvation or assurance from God, then we've already lost our moorings. We've already lost the wrong thing to look at and we're looking at ourselves and not to God. But who is our owner? God. He has done the work. He has saved us. He, we are his people. It is in him and through him and by him that we are saved. Unfortunately, we still enslave ourselves to idols and we enslave ourselves to our sin you know when we as christians when we sin it is much easier to say yes to that sin again when we have idols anything that is above god and what we think is salvation or purpose in life it's easy for us to keep turning to that thing over and over and over again it's that relationship or it's that job or it's that money or or whatever it is that we try to base all of our life on what we need to understand is none of that will save us and what we are like is just like we pharaoh those calls of no i own you you need to come back to me where we can answer no our ownership, our Father is God in heaven. He owns us. He secures us. He seals us. We are His. And just like this, we know that we are free to no longer be in the power of sin, no longer to be in the control of those feelings and emotions or worry about other people's opinions or success or failure, whatever, because our slaves are not to sin, but of to God. And it's what he thinks of us that matters. There are things that you might be still enslaved to today that you need to begin working on. We talked last week how holiness is important, fighting for holiness, going towards holiness. If you've not set your sights on holiness, you're always going to have the pharaohs. You're always going to have the sin trying to say, you're mine. You need to trust in the work of Christ. Christ. 
So number two, what helps us to understand this is number two, the work is the Lord's. The work is the Lord's. Be still, he saves and fights for you. In verse 13 to 14, it says this, but Moses said to the people, don't be afraid, stand firm and see the Lord's salvation he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you must be quiet. So what did Moses instruct? Did he say, okay, get our battlements ready. You know, gather up whatever pitchfork and you know, uh, garden weed or whatever thing you've got and let's get ready for battle? Did he start drawing up and say, let's get the military minds together and let's just try to figure out what the plans be? He said, no, be still and let God fight for you. Brothers and sisters, maybe you need to hear that wherever you are today. Be still and let God fight for you. This is the whole story of the Bible. How did Abraham come to be the father of many nations? Was it something he did? No, God chose him. God fought for him. God brought him and made him a father of many nations. Here we see that God fought for Israel to free them for salvation. We see in the book of Joshua that God fought for Joshua and the Israelites to get the promised land for them. And it was when they tried to fight for themselves that they failed. Later on, we see that David let God fight for him against Goliath. We, we see when King David, that when Israel would go into battle, it was because he said, God will fight for us. We see over and over again this overwhelming message of grace that it is God and his goodness and his grace at work for us, not our work for him. It is because by grace we have received this wonderful good news of salvation and it is the story of the whole Bible. Israel needed to trust in God that he had sent the plagues, that he had also sent Moses to free them, that he would also fight for them. Now notice if you just read on a couple of verses, you'll see that Moses is set aside to be the servant of God, that he was to do something for God. What was this? Well, Moses becomes the servant picture in the Old Testament. This servant that we see that will, will continue on, this servant, then we see the suffering servant in Isaiah, and then eventually the servant that is Christ, the one who is to come. You see, Moses is pictured as the mediator that God has sent for them to, to work on their behalf with him and to, uh, for God to work through. In the same way that Moses would lead them through this, the same way as Christ who has given himself as mediator for our sins to pay for our, our sin and death that we might be forgiven. That we see it's not by our work, but by the grace of Christ. And it's not by our work, but the precious work of Christ who came down on the cross and took the, the wraths stored for us. Romans 4, 3 through 8 says, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. Note to, uh, now to the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift, but as something owed. But to the one who does not work, 
but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited for righteousness. Likewise, David also speaks of the blessing of the person to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the person the Lord will never charge with sin. Praise God, that is the grace that we have received through Jesus Christ. So Paul, who wrote those words in Romans, would later on proclaim, for me, there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. See, Paul, who had literally killed Christians, who had lived his life by the law and not a faith, came to salvation by coming to Christ. And he had learned both objectively that his sins were forgiven, but also he had pushed it down subjectively to know there's no condemnation for me in, in Christ Jesus. There is no guilt that I must carry. All of my past can't be drudged up against me because Christ is for me. All of these things that you might drudge up in your past, all of the things that you struggle with today, Satan will bring to your mind and bring to your heart and say, look, you're a failure. Or you might say, yes, I am, but thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. Because I know without him, I am nothing. Therefore, Christian, take rest. Take rest that you have been sealed. You have been sealed by God, not by your works, not by what you have done, but by Christ who is unbreakable, who will not give up, who will never let you go, who is undefeated. You have been sealed by what Christ has done. Now that doesn't mean that you abdicate responsibility. You never do that in life. You know there is something some things that we're responsible for in life. If you're responsible to be a good parent, you have to do what is safely and securely and responsible as a parent, but you are not responsible for the actions of your kids. You must be still and let God be at work. You are responsible to be a good employee, but you're not responsible for the actions of your boss. You need to be still and let God work. I'm responsible. You're responsible for telling the gospel and sharing with others. But you're not responsible for their salvation. You need to be still and let God be at work. And ultimately, while I'm responsible for my sin... I'm not responsible for achieving my forgiveness. That comes through Jesus Christ. And I need to be at still and leave that to God too. When you try to do it in your own hands, in effect, you're saying, God, you're not doing a very good job. And let me just tell you, in case you need to hear, you're not very good at doing God's job. That's the only one. He can only do that. So when you are faced with all these things, remember 
Do not fear. Do not let your past or your pain or all these things come against you. Remember, you are sealed by Christ. And do not fear. Be still because he will fight for you. Third and finally, the Lord displays his glory in his work of our salvation. Let me just read quickly. Uh, the Lord, in verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell Israelites to break the camp. As for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. As for me, I'm going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them and I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh, all his army, his chariots and horsemen. Horsemen, The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I receive glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going in front of the Israelite forces, moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and stood behind them. It came between the Egyptian and Israelite forces. There were cloud and darkness. It lit up the night and neither group came near the other all night long. And when Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, the Lord drove the sea back with a powerful east wind all that night and turned the sea into dry land. So the waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with waters like a wall to them on their right and their left. The Egyptians set out in pursuit, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariot and his horsemen, and went into the sea after them. During the morning watch, the Lord looked down at the Egyptian forces from the pillar of fire and cloud and threw the Egyptian forces into confusion. This caused their chariot wheels to swerve and made them drive with difficulty. Let's get away from Israel, the Egyptians said, because the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water may come back on the Egyptians, on their chariots and horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak, the sea returned to its normal depth. And while the Egyptians were trying to escape from it, the Lord threw them into the sea. The water came back and covered the chariots and horsemen, plus the entire army of Pharaoh that had gone after them into the sea. Not even one of them survived. But the Israelites had walked through the sea on dry ground, with the waters like a wall to them on their right and their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the power of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in him and in his servant Moses. Brothers and sisters, again, God did a mighty act. When some people read these verses, they quickly like to take away the miracles and the supernatural nature of the story. They like to try to explain it that, well, it was a natural phenomenon. It, was a, it happened to be a, a low-bearing tide or it, used, it was an area that had a drought had affected or, or all these different explanations. But the scripture is clear that God took an east wind and made a way for Israel by pushing the water walls up 
That the same wind that drove out, drove out the locusts and the flies before, the same way that God would do all things to glorify himself, he did a mighty work to allow Israel to walk on dry land. I just imagine that moment as they walk through and they look and it's like going to an aquarium, a natural aquarium, and they're looking and the fish are looking over at them at the, from the other side. They're like, well, you're not supposed to be here. And they're just keeping to walk through. But brothers and sisters, that is the only way for this to happen is for the God Almighty who saves, he made a way for them. And then he brought back his justice and revenge by bringing the waters back down on the Egyptians. Isn't it interesting, just a side note, that this story began in Exodus with Pharaoh putting Israelites under water babies to kill them, that God crushed the Egyptians in water. God is victorious over all things. And it is for his glory and honor and praise that these people and all of history, we can look centuries ahead and other nations will say, that's Israel, that their God is the one that saved them from the Red Sea. We don't wanna mess with them. Or if we do, we need to be very cautious because that God is powerful. It was for his glory and his name and his fame. And brothers and sisters, in the same way that they were saved and they were sealed, the salvation and victory was sealed by the water, the same that your salvation is sealed in Christ. It is him, Christ, who is working to display the glory of his name. It is God who is displaying the glory of his name and all this to display in you and your salvation and the salvation of all of us here to bring glory to his name for all time. That look what he did in these sinners and yet his love overcame. Look at what he did for his people. He sacrificed his son, Jesus Christ, so that we wouldn't have to pay for our sins. By this, brothers and sisters, we, the redeemed, will sing forever and ever, amen, because we will not believe that we are in heaven because of how glorious it is. And we will know that the only reason we're there is because of Christ. You know, funny, after the salvation of Israel, they broke into song. And that's chapter 15. It's just a song of celebrating and bringing glory to the name of God. But interesting, if you hit the fast forward button to the end of the story in Revelation, that we see the glorious song of those who were redeemed in Revelation. What do they sing? They sing Moses' song. Revelation 15, two through four. I also saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire and those who had won victory over the beast, its image and number of its name were standing on the sea of glass with harps from God. They sang the song of God's servant Moses and the song of the lamb. 
Great and awe-inspiring are your works, Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Lord, who will not fear and glorify your name, you, for you alone, are holy. All the nations will come and worship before you because your righteous acts have been revealed. Brothers and sisters, the salvation story of Israel is just a glimpse of of our salvation in Christ. And as God is building his name in Israel, he is building his name in us. Just as I said, I cannot believe that God has done a work in me, that I celebrate him for how he could have let me go on my path of sin, yet he has changed me. And this song of redemption, of celebration in revelations of a people who have gone through so much, who have, they stand on the crystal pavement. They have been victorious over the beast. They haven't abandoned their faith. They haven't succumbed to the threats of the Antichrist. They're overcomers to whom the seven letters will hold promise of eating the tree of life, protection from the second death, hidden manna, authority over the nation, white garments, the, uh, the honor of becoming a pillar of the temple of God, and the privilege of sitting with Christ on his throne." No wonder they break out in song. Brothers and sisters, that's our song. The song of the Lamb. That we have been redeemed. That it's by Him that we have been saved. So if you're here today or you come at point a time in your life that you feel that you are a slave to sin or you're a slave to your old way, you're guilty about your past, you, you, you need to lift your hearts to God. You need to praise him for what he has done. You need to look to the cross and bring glory to the God who has given grace, salvation to you. That we would praise him, that you would not be burned by your past and you would not be burned by the, the, your figures in the past, but instead you would look to the one who has already freed you. See, brothers and sisters, when you trusted in Christ by faith and you take that step of baptism, of obedience, just in the same way you have been sealed forever for Christ. Noah went by faith to building an ark and was delivered out of the water. Moses and the Israelites were delivered through the Red Sea by water. And in the same way, by faith, we are saved by Christ. And by baptism, we show and reveal to the world that we have been saved by grace. And that you can walk out of sin and slavery of the past because of the great good that God has done for you. Amen? If you're an unbeliever today, this can be your song too. Do you sing a song in the car? Is there something that happens that immediately a song comes to mind? In my house, you'll ask Sarah. There's just one little phrase and then I'll just, it's like a radio. I think I might have a metal plate that picks up radio waves. Something will just hit me and I'll just start singing. Maybe you have a song that you sing in certain occasions. Maybe there's a song that something that has happened in your life. Maybe you could even say this good thing happened in my life. And this is a song that I always want to play because it reminds me of that. Or maybe it's a bad thing in your life that you remember and you hear that and you remember that bad thing. Whatever it is, here's the good news. There's a song of the redeemed that you can sing 
if you trust in Christ today. Jesus has paid it all. If you trust in him by faith, today you can be saved. And you can know that you are sealed with the thousands upon thousands upon ten thousands, millions of people who have trusted in Christ over the ages. And that you will stand before the throne and you will sing your heart out to him. And nothing that happens here and nothing that you ever will do will keep you from that glorious day. Today, by faith, trust in him. And may it be so to those who believe that you will sing the song of redemption and not allow Satan or your emotions or your failures to forget that you have been sealed by a mighty God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful this day for this wonderful reminder of Scripture and the wonderful salvation work that you have done through, through Israel, but also as a foretaste in Christ. Lord, we pray that these are the things that we look to during the days of stress and trial and tribulation, that we will look to our faith that is sure in Christ, and that, Lord, we pray that we will lean on to help us endure to the end. And Lord, I pray for anyone here or anyone at home that they would just trust in faith and that by grace they would receive salvation through Christ and they would know they are sealed for eternity. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.